Cheers, please enjoy. What happened last night? Are you really here? Joan, 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 Joan. Hi, Joan! Don't wake up, Joan! Oh my god, last night. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, last night. I got so excited, I was too enthusiastic. Thank you for not laughing. Well, you Good afternoon. At one point You've got living writers you, on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm C. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy I'm to have in the studio, kind of an animal in I never person, lost control Alison Bechtel. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Um, welcome, welcome. Thank you, T. It's very nice to be here. Well, welcome back, yeah. too, because um, I think some of the walls might have changed because maybe there's more painting on the wall behind you, but and maybe a few more stickers out in the lobby. But <laughs> This whole place is just a, a treasure trove of graphic information. Definitely now, even more so, because you've added to the artifacts here on the tablecloth. Yes. Oh, I just new- drew a little self-portrait here on the tablecloth. With a sharpie, yeah, yeah. yeah. can't can't go wrong. <laughs> Today, Alison Bechtel is here on Living Writers. It's gosh, it's, it's we're taping this on April twelfth, Wednesday, April twelfth, and the book on the table with us for this second visit to Ann Arbor, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, which I'm so excited to talk with you about and your process and sort of catch up a bit. This time, you're here to give the Hopwood lecture. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a kind of a big deal. <laughs> what are you thinking about that? And what what are you gonna give us a preview? Because we actually by the time we air this, you'll have done it. So there are no okay. spoilers. Okay. Um well I'm here because there's for the first time there's a prize being awarded in the something called the text text image composition. So that could be anything, it could be comics or like a poem and an illustration or any number of things. I don't even know. I don't even know what... Like a video essay or... Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe not video. Well, oh, okay. I don't know. Who okay. okay. I, I have no idea. <laughs> it better be a comic, damn it. <laughs> I, I met the person who won in the category, but I didn't see what they created. So I don't oh. know. It's a mystery. We'll find out. But uh, since I do work in a kind of text image composition, I have been invited to give the lecture and the lecture is like this fancy thing like all these famous writers have done it in the past it's quite intimidating nah uh well well it helps me to be a little intimidated why what kind of energy does that give you or does Uh, it i don't mean to assume energy it's about like uh you know you have to whip yourself up into a bit of a frenzy like for me it starts with with feeling anxious and unworthy and then and then you have to like work your way through that and understand that you are worthy and you you can do this and it's just a roller coaster that i have to go through you'd think after speaking in public for i don't know decades now i would be better at it but i still have to go through all that cycle it almost sounds similar to your cycle of making yes yeah it's the same thing how how so i don't know well that I go down into this pit of despair from which I must arise like a phoenix. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, my gosh. Maybe we can find a phoenix song. <laughs> the phoenix from the flame. Oh, Sinead O'Connor. Okay, there you go. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're... This is so fun. Freeform radio. We can do whatever we want. I know. We're going to have to tell Reverend Andrew. <laughs> he stepped away from the glass. <laughs> Get back here, Andrew. Actually, before we go any further... I'm so excited to have you back here, Allison. It's so good to see you. I'm I'm going to read your short bio in the back of the book, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, which I was so, so lucky to get my hands on last week. Vault of Midnight will be selling books at the events, and I know that they'll have, they always have you in stock at Vault of Midnight here in town. So shout out to Espy and Stevie and Liz there. Yeah, it's an amazing store. It, it, it is. Do you go each time you're here? Or? I, I will go on this trip, but I have not been yet. It's amazing about it to you. Oh, it's just nice to be in a comic store, especially one that has so much good stuff. It seems like whenever time of day I go in, it, it's nice to see nice. that like all ages and yeah, 
Okay, now the bio. Alison Bechtel's cult following for her early comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, expanded wildly for her family memoirs, the best-selling graphic memoir, Fun Home, adapted into a Tony Award-winning musical, and Are You My Mother?, Bechtel has been named a MacArthur Fellow and Cartoonist Laureate of Vermont, among many other honors. And yeah, now a Hopwood lecturer here as the latest. And at the top of the program, we heard a song from um, Fun Home. Could you tell us a little bit about what it's like to hear your own graphic novel, graphic memoir turned into a musical on Broadway? Oh, man. Uh, It's very, it's been a very strange thing. I mean, that... Uh, the show opened on Broadway in 2015 after being off-Broadway for uh, like a couple years. Uh, and it was this just amazing phenomenon, um, a very beautiful adaptation of my graphic novel, which I didn't quite think was really possible when I when I agreed to, you know, allowing someone to turn that book into a musical. <laughs> I was like... You can try. I don't. I don't know how that's going to go. That's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know much about musicals. I now know a little more, um, and it actually worked really beautifully as a musical. I mean, in the hands of of the people who did the adaptation. Um, a, a U of Michigan alum, Lisa Crone, was the book writer. She did the adaptation of the story and also wrote the lyrics um, and worked with. Janine Tesori, the composer, to create this musical, you know, a story made of songs and words in the way that a graphic novel is made of pictures and words. And how were you part of the process? How I involved? was not really part of it. <laughs> um, I signed away my rights. They could have done anything with with the book. So I'm really fortunate that it turned out so well. They did a great job. Um, is that I did, normal to sign away your rights? Or, or I think that's what most people on the other side prefer. <laughs> they don't like pesky authors trying to, you know, change things. And of course, I know nothing about writing a musical, so I wouldn't have really been any help. But Lisa Crone uh, very kindly included me in her process, like did a lot of sort of interviewing of me and asking me about my own experience writing the book. And I think she drew on a lot of that as she created her own version. That does seem like it would feel like the spirit of it yeah. would somehow be manifest. In yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was open to that. And of course, not everyone would have been, wouldn't, wouldn't have cared. Like for them, they would just see their job as taking the book and leaving the author out of it. But yeah, it was... Nice that she included me in that way. You've been working, because um, we met in the bio, um, Dykes to Watch Out For, working in the media, like with text and image, in comics, in graphic novels for decades now, yeah. right, Allison? Yes, is it? Four. four. So four decades. And now, I mean, <laughs> when when we first talked it was like what you said when you were here for penny stamps like seven years ago or so Mm -hmm. i mean i was more like in a um like i took a a deep dive jump into what the work until that time and now like having the space and seeing your your current book the secret to superhuman strength i mean it's really lovely and amazing to see how you have been building this style that's yours but you can see how it's in each of the pieces that you've built. I don't know if it's like something that how consciously aware you can start, like have that as like a, a Bechtel stamp on it or like the a frame. It feels natural for the work of an artist to have that, even if you're not like consciously aware. But I wonder, do you also see that at work? Because reading through this, all of these parts of like the Allison way, I see alive and at work in this latest. <laughs> it, in, inevitably, it's going to come out looking like something I would do. It's like your handwriting. Like you, unless you consciously try to forge someone else's signature, you're just going to whatever you write is going to look like you, and and that's right. true of cartoonist too. 
Right. But I think it goes, what I'm saying is, I think it goes beyond that. There's something new and different that you're doing with this kind of medium because it's memoir that's, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just need to read more, but you seem different to me. I, I like to think that I'm constantly evolving. You know, I like to think I'm getting better at what I do and getting better at being a human. Uh, So I'm always trying to do that. In fact, that's what this book is kind of about. Yeah. <laughs> Say more, Allison. <laughs> well, I mean, like many people, I I have had a thing about self-improvement. You know, I love self-improvement books, and I have read many of them and given up on many of them. Um, but there's—I I feel sort of like I, I didn't get some instruction book when they were passing them out, you know? So I'm always having to make up for that and figure out, like, what— what is what am I doing here? What is my life for? What how can I do this better? Uh, so, th- this book, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, talks about one way of how I have done that, which is through exercise. I've always been a bit of an exercise enthusiast, shall we say? And let's take a short break, and then we'll come back today on Living Writers. Alison Bechtel is here. The Secret to Superhuman Strength. The book on the table with us, and now to Jack LaLanne. Stop! Look! Listen! It's time for the Jack LaLanne Show from Hollywood. Starring the world-famous nutritionist, author, lecturer, and physical culture expert on your figure in beauty. And now, here is a man who will show you how to feel better, look better, Jack LaLanne. Good morning and a happy Monday morning to you. I hope you had a pleasant weekend. Hey, who do I see there? My boys and girls, my little helpers, kitties. Wherever mother is, you go run and get her and you tell mother, you say, Mother, it's Monday and Jack LaLanne is waiting. Go get her, come on. That's what I want, good. Hey, look who we have here, happy? What are you gonna do today? You wanna go play? Okay, bye-bye. What do I see? Please keep the dial right where it is. I see we have some new students. And what do I see? I see a lot of these students are suffering from hangovers. Well, I guess you had a kind of a rough weekend, huh? I'm going to show you what to do about that old hangover. You know what I want you to do? Get up on your feet. Give me a big... Welcome back. If you're just tuning in and joining us, so glad you did, because you just got to hear a little Jack LaLanne. And even better, Alison Bechtel is here in the studio with her book, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Alison, what was it like hearing... Because Jack LaLanne figures also into the book. This is not by accident in the universe that we're hearing his. <laughs> no, I, I loved Jack LaLanne as a kid. You know, whenever I was homesick from school, I would, he would be there on television in his crazy jumpsuit and his little ballet slippers. <laughs> like low, very low cut. Yeah. The, the shoes or the jumpsuit? Or maybe both. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. He would have that thing open to the navel practically. <laughs> right. um, but I just thought he was so cool. I mean, he was just this you know, he had these big muscles, which I admired as a child. I was very into the whole muscle man <laughs> scene, uh, mostly because of my comic books. Comic books would always have these bodybuilding ads, especially the iconic one for the Charles Atlas program, where the there'd be this little cartoon about the weakling at the beach who gets sand kicked on him. And I just loved, you know, it's a very compelling story. Children, I think, really identify with that small, powerless guy, and they want to be the big, strong guy. And in the early pages of the book, you actually have part of the text is moving us forward. But in the panel, you can see uh, a drawing of um, Charles Atlas. And then I think a page from one of the books where a woman on the beach is saying, you really are a man, or something like that. Well, they're filled with language, uh, like about he-men and manly men. Like it's all very, it's all about being a man, yeah. which is funny because I was reading it as a little girl and saw no inherent contradiction somehow. Yeah, because of the dominant culture, right? I don't know. I don't know. I like to think it was part of my just my own personal weirdness as a kid. Yes, <laughs> or as just as a human being, hopefully keeping that forever. Yes. I mean, one hopes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I feel like I told you this before. So if I did, Allison, forgive me and I won't make it long. But like when I was a kid, John McEnroe was my hero. Ah. And I didn't think it was weird that I wasn't a man 
too, or whatever, yeah. like as a someone, not Chris Everett Lloyd or Martina Navratilova or, yeah, you know. Yeah, whoever, you know, connects with you. Like, I just love seeing, like, little boys adulating Serena Williams. Yes. Cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. How everyone yeah. is like, now it's coming yeah. around to that be. It did not used to happen, but it's great to see it. It, it, it yeah, it really is. Because things are, thank goodness for the kids today. Let's just repeat that. Thank goodness for these kids. Because, man, the world is not making it easy for them. No. Maybe they can, uh, because of that, they're more into, I don't know, like they're better able to be stronger sooner. I hope. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But muscles, <laughs> right? <laughs> muscles. And and this connects to part of the book where wanting to live a long life and not to die is a thread throughout the book, which is maybe a human impulse, but we don't necessarily always talk about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the book is my sort of beginning attempt to grapple with my own mortality. I feel like this is something really important that we all need to do and and might even be the point of life in a way is to really fully appreciate that and understand how transitory it all is and learn how to let go of our incredible narcissism about, you know, our particular selves and our achievements and blah, blah, blah. We're just all like drops of water in a big waterfall. (laughs) I'm nodding because I'm already converted because I've read those very words as I was finishing the book this morning. Oh, Um, good. Those aren't really my words. Those are from um, Suzuki Roshi who wrote this great, uh, in his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, he has this great image of a, a waterfall as like a metaphor for life and that um, we're all part of this stream. We're just all part of water in a stream. But once once the water goes over the edge of the cliff and becomes a waterfall, it separates into individual droplets. And that's what our life is. We're just then we become individual people with our, you know, crazy lives plunging through space. And then we all like reconvene at the bottom of the waterfall in the stream again. And that's life. And our life and our death are all part of the same thing. That's what's so moving about this image. And that you don't have to worry about death because it's just all the same river. I think that's what almost made me get a little bit watery-eyed. Oh, oh, to use water again. <laughs> yes. yeah, well, that makes sense um, in this moment. And I had to sort of gather myself because there were other students in the area and I didn't want to seem like I was oh. like crying But um, <laughs> before class. It, it's just this this idea of taking us on a journey, which is not necessarily what you thought when you started this book. Because this, how long is the secret to superhuman strength been in the works? Oh, Allison, man. And- it took a really long time. When, when I saw you seven years ago and we spoke, I was I was working on this Sorry. book. Um, it took a very long time. My original plan was to do a light, fun, quick book about exercise. That I thought sounds that would be- like you. Yeah. <laughs> not. Uh, and yeah, I, I was not able to do that. Uh, in part because, you know, my... I was in my 50s when I began writing this book, my, and my mother died in the very early stages of it, which quickly gave things a different, things took a different turn. It was going to be much more about, you know, life. What is, what is a life? And something happens after your mother dies, I think. Um, you just, you really see things differently, and there's no way to anticipate that. No, even if you think that you may have been anticipating, like, yes. like for you, you have a whole book where there's, you feel like in a way you'd been processing or braced and you yeah. can't be. Or yeah. so. I was, I was definitely trying to brace, um, you know, think, you know, I, I would talk to friends whose mothers were dying or, uh, I don't know, just try to anticipate what that was going to be like. Because she was sick for several years before she died. And none of that was any help whatsoever. No. It's, it seems like there's a, a Buddhist practice, but you'll be able to tell me otherwise, that uh, Isha Sloan, when she was here talking about one of her books of essays, had said, if you can um, imagine it, 
like in your meditation, the thing that you're most afraid of and imagine it, go through it, then you live it and then you become less afraid. But I can't, I don't know to even think to use that kind of your imagination, its capacity to do that work. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Maybe in, maybe in cases of some fears, you know, maybe less, you know, huge. <laughs> like lost, like a person or a creature yeah, or so. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Let's take a short break. Okay. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> yeah, because, um, because it's time to. And then when we come back, I, if you don't mind, Allison, like Allison Bechtel will read some from The Secret to Superhuman Strength. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and we've got Reverend Andrew behind the glass. We'll be right back. I remember it In Dublin in a rainstorm Sitting in the long grass in summer Keeping warm I remember it Every restless night We were so young then We thought that everything we could possibly do was right And we moved Stolen from our very eyes and tell me when did the light die you will rise you'll return Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, so glad you did. Today on Living Writers, Alison Bechtel is here, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, and I'm T. Hetzel. Alison, that we just got to hear a little bit of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that song in a while, and it feels just right for today. Yes. And, and your book. Yes. Good. <laughs> this is but so I, fun. I, I wish just... I had like you guys putting music to my life as I walked around during the day. <laughs> That would be a really great feature of WCBN. Actually, just listen in, because I yes. bet sometimes... <laughs> I guess that's the point. I guess that <laughs> might be. I, I know it works for me that way sometimes when I'm driving around town. I'm like, yeah. this is just right. Yeah. This phoenix from the flame and learning and rising. At the first part of the program, Allison, you mentioned about going through the cycle when you're preparing for a talk, like the Hopwood talk or, or, or any talk that public talk that you're giving and you go through anxiety and then it, there seems to be a time where you you have the hype song ready yes hopefully hopefully that happens it usually does but that's you never know so that's part of the uh part of the experience it's all very nerve-wracking so do you mean like even in the moment like creating the experience when you're there at this like a public event or so is that what you mean no i mean in the preparation once I'm there, it's usually fine. You know, you have the energy of people to carry you. Yeah, and it's also maybe something that you have learned over the years to do. Like you become, you're still you, but you're you're the you of the stage. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, yeah, Alison. No, Never it's, mind. That's that's, no, it's a really <laughs> interesting question because I do feel like in a way when I do things like this, I'm... It's a performance. I'm performing myself. <laughs> and it's funny, like I'm impersonating myself. <laughs> it's, but genuinely. Yes. Or so. Yes. I, the effort, the, the point is to do it as genuinely, as authentically as possible. But it's still like, you know, a performance. And it's bizarre, isn't it, though? But it's you get this, because it's that performance and because you know you're able to do it, you get this extra energy yes. that centers you or so yes. in a different way. Yes. Yeah. Something just 
takes over. Uh, it's not like just standing there talking like you would to anyone else. Yeah, you can't you can't manufacture it unless it's that moment. Yeah. Yes. And maybe it's like what you said too. It's also somehow that energy of others that's that are around you. Totally. I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's good to remember that post COVID. You know, it's so different. Yeah. Oh, man. My book tour for this book was sadly all virtual. I didn't get to go out on tour. And I did all these like deadly Zoom events where who knew if anyone was even watching? You know, it was just like me talking and it was just very, felt very flat and dull. No energy. Yeah. How do you, yeah, because that would also be more draining to oh, try man. to. I feel so bad for all the people who are teaching like that, <gasps> to all the poor beleaguered students who had their cameras turned off. It's just, you know, what a what an energy suck that was for everyone. It's hard. It's I would try to force nicely force, hopefully nicely, but anyway, force everyone to do the gallery zooms mm -hmm. because otherwise I couldn't teach cuz who are you talking yeah, to? I, I I think you're out there. <laughs> I can't see your faces yeah. and so that's what it was like for you on the Yeah. Pink. So are you going to go to more places now because um, you can and I well I have been but now I'm trying to wind that down because I need to go write another book. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, what did, what's what's going on with that book? And oh, then we'll come back to this one. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it because I've been talking about it a lot, and then, oh, okay. of course that just sort of takes all the energy of making it away. So that's true. I shouldn't have even asked. No, you. no, no. Sorry that's about that. It's perfectly legitimate. Not really. <laughs> So, hey, let's hear some okay. from The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Okay. I am I found a place that works without the pictures, um, more, more or less. This is from the introduction, where I'm talking about um, how this book uh, brings other writers into the narrative, um, in particular, the transcendentalists, the British romantics, and some of the beats, Jack Kerouac in particular. So here's my character. See, now I'm performing myself again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call on this lineage of progressive-minded writers as I document my lifelong pursuit of physical fitness. Each of them, like me, was intent on some kind of inner transformation. But I'm also interested in the chain of influence among them, the way their individual ideas are part of a larger, evolving understanding of the relationship between humans and the universe. Kerouac, for example, was a big fan of Emerson and Thoreau. Near the end of his life, when he was drinking nonstop, he moved back to Lowell for a brief period and claimed he could see the treetops at Walden Pond 14 miles away unlikely and a bit pathetic, given how far he'd fallen from the Thoreauvian ideals of his youth. But Jack's transcendentalist-inspired work would in turn inspire the 60s generation, as it carried on the progressive tradition of social justice and saving the planet. What happened to that plan, I'd like to know. Thanks, Boomer. And then there's a little note, technically a Boomer too, but just barely. All right, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. And I love, too, that you had some notes there to read because those that's one of the things you can do when you're working in these frames, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you can comment on, on your own <laughs> story. I love that. Um, a, a cartoonist scholar friend of mine calls those paratextual boxes. Nice fancy term for those. That's, and there's a lot of those yes. in here. And when you're drafting, how is your... You know what? Let's come back to that. Okay. I can remember this question, she promises. And let's take a short break. And I think we get to hear The Hills Are Alive. Oh, yes. Allison, is this, this is another hype song. Totally. <laughs> Here we go, folks. Living Writers will be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers today on the program. Alison Bechtel is here. The Secret to Superhuman Strength, her book on the table with us. And that was just Julie Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So when you hear this song, Alison, how does it figure into the book (laughs) and your vision? You know, Julie Andrews, well, what's my childhood heartthrob for one thing, but the sound of music figures, it's kind of a weird through line in my life. I, it was one of the first movies I saw as a very small child. I was four, and my grandparents took me, and my grandfather had grown up in the in the Italian Alps, not far from where, you know, where this amazing opening scene of The Sound of Music happens. And he was really touched by that. He had left Italy as a boy, had not seen those mountains in 60 years. So... I don't, you know, I don't remember that, but I'm sure that I was absorbing some of his feelings as he saw those amazing panoramic views of the Alps. I, I was amazed by the mountains. I'd never seen mountains like that. It was stunning. But for me, it was all mixed up too with, with having this crush on this this nun, <laughs> this young <laughs> nun. Um, but I think that that has colored my my feelings about the outdoors and and actual mountains. Like there's something a little erotic about it always that has that same kind of passion for me. And mountains are a theme of the book. And being outside, I think, right? Being out. I mean, that. the, the other interesting thing is The Sound of Music is a musical based on a real story, based on these real people's lives, which it's funny to think about Fun Hung being turned into a a musical. Um, And also, I ended up living, moving to Vermont near near the place where the actual Maria in The Sound of Music moved with all those kids and her husband, and they, they ran an inn near Stowe, Vermont, where you can still go and ski. Anyhow, it's a lot. I know. No, it's so amazing how these things, when you're researching or when you're putting them into your book, Allison, there's more and more of these things. Yeah. Jack Kerouac, like when he returns to Lowell, you're not far from the same river, right? Or is that right? The thread, like where you're located? No, I I, I am... No, I'm not close to that place, but I, I, I did pay attention to those watersheds and the story and, and visited them as I was working on the book. So everything's connected to Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is wonderful to see that how the mountains and the being outside part becomes this way of reckoning with the, the struggle because years that are covered in this book, too, are some of the, some dark times in the U.S. political history for some of us with the Trump years or so. And and so the book, maybe it was going to be about exercise, and it still is because there's these themes of what strength means and mm-hmm. and how you what you need to survive. And if surviving isn't enough to live to be okay with your life until death. Sorry, I'm throwing a lot out there, but there's this moment at the end too where you say, I need to start training in case I have to be the one. Do you want to tell us? In case I have to run messages for the resistance. Which is like a theme throughout, but then you're like, no one will ever expect (laughs) an old lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, in a way that runs counter to what I'm trying to say in the book, which is that we shouldn't need to be self-sufficient and indomitable and invulnerable. You know, the and I think that's the problem with so much of well of of conservative politics. Like that's that's the ideology is that people should take care of themselves. It's all survival of the fittest, and we shouldn't care for our community. That we that we you know. There's this denial of, of, of our interdependence as humans. So that felt really important to address. But I, I still have a strand of that in me. You know, I still want to be able to do it all myself. Well, because that is foundational for you, too, with this idea of the muscles. Yeah, and I think many people, like, never grow out of that phase. I mean, we people were in this weird embrace of authoritarianism where people <laughs> seem to just love the idea of a strong man. You know, boo. Yeah, a political strongman as opposed to a Charles Atlas strongman, but which same is fu- idea? Yeah, 
yeah. It's, I think it's important to have that part in the end of the book because I hope this isn't a spoiler, but in, in it, you're saying that you've, you've made some hard, hard won realizations through this, like, especially the epiphany about the river, the droplets of the waterfall, and how can we all be part of this water if we're self-sufficient and alone? That just doesn't even make sense. And that it's part of the being okay with that, that is life. Yeah. Yeah. I think being, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) being okay with oneself is often a struggle. And so this is kind of like my story of figuring that out. You've li- you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Alison Bechtel is here. The secret to superhuman strength. We'll be back. You didn't notice her at first, but I saw her the moment she walked in. She was a delivery woman. She came in with a handcart full of packages. She was an old school butch. Someone just came in the door Like no one I ever saw before I feel... I feel... I don't know where you came from I wish I did, I feel so dumb I feel... Your swagger and your bearing and just right clothes you're wearing your short hair and your dungarees and your lace-up boots and your keys oh your ring of keys welcome back you've got living writers today Alison Bechtel is here her book on the table the secret to superhuman strength and we just got to hear, um, Allison, will you tell us what we just got to hear? <laughs> yeah, that was a song called Ring of Keys from Fun Home, the musical. And uh, I just love that song. It's a song based on this one of my earliest childhood memories, which was of seeing this very masculine looking woman delivering packages to a, a diner where I was having lunch with my dad. And my dad said to me he saw me looking at her like mesmerized and he said is that what you want to look like because we would always have these struggles over was I going to wear a dress or was I going to wear pants so that was like an ongoing part of my childhood and I said no you know because of course I I didn't have the strength to really stand up to my dad but I could see how charged this was for him this this sexual outlaw uh freaking him out and later in life I would understand why but I that image of that woman was very sustaining for me all throughout my childhood like wow she had short hair she had jeans and boots I was like yeah I did want to look like that um and in my drawing of that in 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 the book fun home she of course has a ring of keys on her belt and the playwright and the composer turned that little tiny visual detail in the drawing into what is now a glorious butch anthem that like so many young people uh, have embraced that song. It's really cool. It's true that keys and a ring of keys, it gives you access and power. Yep. And so this is someone who you saw at that young age and that the, the unlocked the universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with a key, with one of the key, many of the keys, potentially. Yeah. I've got to see the musical now. Returning to the secret to superhuman strength, Allison, the color palette reminds me of superhero comic books. Was that intentional? Because I know the making, the creating of the color was a bit of a, a work in itself, like a, a struggle. You but, know, it's funny. I, <laughs> I didn't, I never really thought of that, but that's, I think that's, true. I mean, I wanted it to look like a comic book and comic books are in full color. I've not, I had never worked in full color before just because it's quite laborious and time consuming. Um, and thank goodness for Holly. Yes, my, my partner pitched in to do much of that work. Um, and I'm really happy with how it looks. 
it, it, it was such a crazy process. I, it, that would be kind of boring, I think, for radio listeners to hear about, so we don't have to talk about it. But I'm, I'm glad I, we put in that effort to make it color. The, the particular colors you used, because it, it seems like an old-fashioned superhero comic, like Wonder Woman or Superman or something. Well, I, I did this perverse thing, which was to essentially do it in color separations, to not just use watercolor to color it, but separate layers of cyan, magenta, yellow, and, and black in this old-fashioned pre-digital um, method that was very time-consuming, but I think paid off. That would have been the way they would have done it in the funnies yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah definitely. In, in the old days. So, Allison, I'm thinking about the strands that run through. When you chose something to read for us today that could work without the the images, it made me think of process and when you're drafting. When you do, do you do a first run through of the whole arc of this book, for example? And then, so you have sort of something for everything that's sort of represented now. And then you go back for some of the different layers or uh, what was the word? The paratextual. <laughs> um, uh, oh, you know, just like when you're reading comics, you're sort of reading the words and assimilating the pictures simultaneously. I'm doing that when I'm writing. I'm, I'm writing with words, but and I'm not. I actually do most of my writing at the computer in a drawing program. But I'm mostly typing words. I'm not actually drawing a lot. Um, and I get the whole book mapped out like that. I know what those images are going to be, even though I haven't drawn them, because it's so much work to draw them. And if I have to change them later, I don't want to spend that time. So, I yeah, I get the whole arc of the book mapped out before I start doing the final drawings. So, for example, like what we for the Charles Atlas part that we were talking about um, when you, the, your character, Allison is looking at the comic book. I think it was like a Richie rich or I'm not. Yeah. 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 Um, so you would say maybe like the text that the writing part of it, but then you'd also have me holding a Richie rich yes. comic. Yes. I would have little notes so that my editor, when she looked at what I was writing, could tell what the images were going to be. I, I would know I wouldn't need that necessarily for my own information, but to convey it to my editor, yeah, I would put little explanations of each image. And maybe that's also how some of the paratextual things uh, emerge, because I was thinking those might be the very end. Like, what would it be like? One that I can think of in the early pages is like, I think you have an arrow pointing to your pants, the character's pants that have been worn since the first frame. And you're like, Lulu Lemur or something instead of oh, Lululemon yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, that just happens throughout. That's, you know, it's sort of like a way of foot, making little footnotes on the drawings. And funny asides, too, that also yeah. point to things that maybe the other text is working with addressing. Yes. Like capitalism yes. or or like um, the commodification of the sporting yeah. gym life <laughs> for that one. Yeah, exactly. Like how you said that we're all like these babies carrying around our bottles and the blankets. Oh, yeah, and with the, the, the yoga yes. commentary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so funny how yoga has taken over our culture. And I was, you know, when I, I was sort of in the early days of that, in the 90s, I, in my 30s, I, I discovered yoga and became very passionate about it. And then do you feel like there's a bunch of pretenders out there now? <laughs> sort of. I mean, I think a lot of the spirit seems to have gotten a little corrupted just in the way people pose and show off. You know, not, you're not supposed to brag about your yoga poses, even though I guess I am I'm implicitly doing that in the book when I draw myself doing these poses. But I actually noticed that in the frame you had different people represented doing the poses in different ways. Sure, your pose looked pretty good in the picture. <laughs> But I think there were other people doing different, you know, yes. I, like I think so that's all intentional oh, Like yeah. when you're bringing that image to bear. Yes. Do you think then like, well, like reading any book, really, like how much someone's getting the first read through and then mm -hmm. if you come back to it to read it again and maybe the reader themselves are different, what they might notice. 
Yes. Well, I hope that's the case. I hope, you know, people are compelled to go back and read it again. I I certainly have that experience re- rereading books. You're, you're a different person the next time you read it, and you see all kinds of stuff that wasn't there before. Or it was was there, but not for you yes. yet, or something. Right, right. Not, not, yeah, not being withheld from you, but sometimes it's like what we're open to that we are. Or able to how see. much of your life you've lived. You know, when you're when yeah. you're young, you, I, you know, you don't, you just don't know anything, <laughs> really. <laughs> it, it is such a strange reality where because you, you don't know that either because you do know a lot and you know things that other people don't know also. Yes, right. Everyone's but you don't know what you don't know. Unlike yes. older people who. Well, what, uh, I don't know, and I'm already confused. Exactly. <laughs> like old people like us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been an amazing hour of radio. <laughs> it actually really has, Allison. Thank you so much for today. With your process, we talked about how with athletics, with your body and with muscles and strength, you're running, you know, you continue this, you build on this with your work also. When you're doing your art and your work, how how does that look for you these days? Is it like running where a couple of years ago it might have been really hard to be pounding on the pavements, but now it's like or when the end by the end of this book, the character is saying running is necessary and I miss it if I'm not doing it for a day. Is it like that? With your words and pictures as well? You know, not exactly. I, I, I've noticed as I've gotten older that I have a narrower window of focus <laughs> every day. Like, I, I used to be able to work any time of day or night, no problem. But now I have to get up early in the morning and kind of capture that time. Or after afternoon, I'm pretty shot. So I have to learn to work with that. So with- you feel a difference in your own mind. Yes. I hate to say that, but um, I'll say that for all the aging people out there. I mean, I still have my mind. It's just, you know. Clearly. I got to capture it when it's at its sharpest. Maybe those are, that's for like the newness of creation. And then with research, what's that like for you when you're finding, when you're like, yeah, I'm going to bring Dharma bums into this. Maybe not on the road, but Dharma bums. <laughs> Well, that's actually so much of my writing process is research, you know, certainly in the early stages, I'm just like wandering around wherever I want to go, letting myself follow all these different strands and prompts and connections. And that's really fun. And the acknowledgments, you say, thanks to people giving you books and things like uh, Dorothy Wordsworth. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine turned me on to Dorothy Wordsworth, who I'd never really known anything about. And that determined a whole direction of the book. It's interesting when these people become voices for you and your your way of being, and then you've now put them into the story that you're telling for us here in The Secret to Superhuman Strength. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And Buddha, too. Yeah, Buddha's in there, too. Allison, thanks so much for being part of the the fabric of this week here in Ann Arbor. Thank you, T. For coming back and for being here in the station. Really, um, really lovely to chat with you. Thank you. Oh, it's really good to see you. So folks, Alison Bechtel, her latest, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks to Reverend Andrew for engineering. Thanks to you all out there for listening. Until next time. to Jones' inner thighs, a seminar on Jones' ass in her Levi's, and Jones' crazy brown eyes. Joan, I feel like Hercules. Oh, God, that sounds ridiculous. Just keep on sleeping through this, and I'll work on calming down, so by the time you've woken up, I'll be cool, I'll be collected, and I'll have found some dignity. But who needs dignity? Because this is so much better. I'm radiating happiness. Will you stay here with me for the rest of the semester? We won't need any food. We'll live on sex alone. Sex with Joan! I am writing on Joan It's a cutting edge field and my mind is blown I will gladly stay up every night to hone my compulsory skills
stone I will study my way down her spine Familiarize myself with her well-made outline While she researches mine I... Okay, we're... This is so fun, freeform radio
I were exactly alike. I see everything. Caption, my dad and I were nothing alike. I'm Superman. My dad and my dad and I. Daddy, come back. This is so fun. Freeform radio. Caption. 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 I'm the only one here. This is what I have of you. You ordering me to sweep and dust the parlor. You steaming off the wallpaper. You in front of a classroom of bored students digging up a dogwood tree. You working on the house, smelling like sawdust and sweat and designer cologne. You calling me at college to tell me how I'm supposed to feel about Faulkner or Hemingway. You standing on the shoulder of Route 150, bracing yourself against the pulse of the trucks rushing past. You Coming to a rare moment of physical contact with me. Hello and welcome to the Daily Sports Report. 
It is 6 p.m. You are tuned in to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. It is Wednesday, April 26th. My name is Kellen Flynn. Alex Miller joining me today here in Prade in the basement of the Student Activities Building in the University of Michigan. Alex, we're here to talk NBA playoffs today. It has been an exciting, a fun NBA playoffs so far. Um, And we're going to get started with, I think, consensus, the most surprising series so far, the eight-seeded Miami Heat, who lost their first-round playoff game um, and then beat... They lost to the Hawks in the first playing game, and then they won against, I believe... Was it... Who did they beat in the... Do you remember? I I can't remember either. Um, Regardless, they're up 3-1 on the number one-seeded Milwaukee Bucks through four games in this series... This includes Miami stealing game one in Milwaukee and then winning both games at home. Obviously, the big story from the most recent game, game four, Milwaukee up double digits in the fourth quarter of that game. Jimmy Butler scores 56 points to put the Heat on top and take a 3-1 series lead. I totally had written the Miami Heat out of this series even when Giannis went down. In game one, I said it didn't matter. I said Milwaukee was still the better team and was going to get the job done, especially with no Tyler Hero. I didn't think Miami was going to be able to score. Miami has scored 130, 122, 121, and 119 points in all four games of the series against a good defensive Bucs team, Alex. I mean, 